Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. On this episode of El Flow, we're doing something new. Something different to what we've been doing up until now, which is to tell the history of reggaeton as it happened, through the eyes of the people who created the movement. We'll take a small break, a parenthesis if you will, to welcome one of the most recognized names in reggaeton. A rapper who has taken home more Latin Grammys than any other recording artist. We're talking about René Pérez Joglar, a.k.a. Residente. Now, if you know Residente, you know his career began almost 20 years ago, just as reggaeton was beginning to blow up, and that he's never been shy about speaking his mind. Today I was listening to someone saying like, no, because a rapper doesn't have to write. No, 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 no. It's like saying like a guitar player doesn't have to play guitar. Like, what the fuck are you saying? Residente has stirred up controversy from his very first song. He's lashed out at police brutality in pretty much all of reggaeton, using everything from diss tracks to Instagram live feeds to a ruthless hot dog cart metaphor. What I criticize is, after you put in all that money to make it to number one, then you're gonna pretend that you're the fucking shit. In this episode, we talk about his music, his life inside and at odds with the reggaeton movement, and that thin line between René and Residente. This is El Flow, a journey to the roots of reggaeton. My name is Lilia Luciano, a CBS News correspondent born and raised in Puerto Rico, the cradle of reggaeton. You're listening to episode 15, René and Residente. What were some of your uh, musical influences as a kid? What were you listening to? Uh, well, I grew up listening to Rubén Blades, Milo Rivera, but also Led Zeppelin. Since my stepdad was a musician and my dad was a musician, you know, they had like, like really good taste, you know. So I grew up listening to salsa music, but also rock music and jazz music. Also rap music, because I, I liked it, even though my, my father didn't understand it at that time. What kind of rap music? Man, like classics, like Das Effects. Tribe Called Quest, Wu-Tang, you know, classic stuff. I remember Cypress Hill, listening to that. And of course, Pico C, you know, in Spanish. Pico C was just a teenager when he started rapping about what he was seeing in the streets of Puerta de Tierra. To many of the reggaeton and rap pioneers, Pico C was a legend. The guy who showed everybody a whole new realm of what was possible. Because his music was like like magic, you know, like the first time that I that I heard someone rapping, it was like a trick, like a magic trick. Because I grew up in a middle, low middle class neighborhood, but he was growing up in Puerta de Tierra, which it was rough at that time in, in the 80s. 
and he was describing everything. And for me, it was like another world. And I ended up going to Puerto de Tierra when I was a kid, like 11, 12 years old. And I saw everything that he was saying in his songs, you know, that energy and all of the things that he was talking about, you know, I was seeing that like, oh, this is great, you know. The caserios in Puerta de Tierra were public housing complexes where many underground artists lived. You could call Puerta de Tierra one of the birthplaces of reggaeton. René's neighborhood, on the other hand, was a gated community. He dreamt of becoming a baseball player until he fell in love with music. His band, Calle 13, is a nod to his childhood home. Where does Calle 13 come from? 13th Street is a street, but it was like it was outside. It's outside the city. So it's kind of like in Puerto Rico, even though it's an island, uh, when you live, like, I don't know, 40 minutes away from the main city, from the capital, it's considered like far yeah. away. <laughs> yeah, like you're like far. And they had like street stuff going on because, you know, like in my same street, it was like the, the, the most wanted guy in Puerto Rico was Alex Trujillo. And he's from Calle 13 too. So it was like half of my friends, they were part of his gang. So... So, yeah, it was kind of like an in-between, you know, being like in El Caserío and being like in a normal neighborhood. Because it was normal, but it, it had a little bit of that, too. René and his stepbrother, Eduardo Cabra, started Calle 13 in 2004 after René returned from graduate studies at the Savannah College of Art and Design in Georgia. Individually, they call themselves Residente and Visitante, a reference to the days when René still lived in Calle 13, or 13th Street, And Eduardo would come to see him and would announce himself at the gate as visitor, while René was the resident. Like Vico C, a lot of their early music goes back to what they were witnessing on their block when they were kids. I think you've sang a lot, or in several songs, and you've spoken a lot about how police killed your friend Christopher. What happened there, and how did that form your career? He got killed by his police brutality but they get away with it and his mom was fighting for years and then she ended up receiving money you know they gave her like $75,000 and a week after she died so she fought like almost I don't know for 10-15 years and then she died after she set that up and then you know the his brothers like I see them often and I just saw one of his brothers and he's working with my sister so like I'm connected you know, with them. I think more than anyone, or just in a small group of artists, you have voiced important social issues. You've brought history and educated people on the history of oppression in Latin America, in Puerto Rico. At what point did you start doing that or decide? Because I'm sure it was costly. As an artist, also anything that affects you, you have to be a reflection of it. You know, that's what I learned. And that's what I was doing all the time. Like I was, I was being a reflection of uh, what was happening in Puerto Rico, politically speaking. Presidente's first attempt at channeling the energy of society was in 2005, when the FBI shot and killed Filiberto Ojeda Rios, a leader of the Macheteros, a nationalist group who fought for the independence of Puerto Rico from the United States. Do you remember when Filiberto was killed by the FBI? I remember I went to the, I went to the funeral, to his funeral, and I saw him dead, and I was like, You know, it was, for me, I kind of like received like an energy or something. And I went back to the studio that same night and I wrote Dear FBI and then I put it down and it went viral in Puerto Rico. And I never thought that it was going to go like that. 
that term of having something viral, it didn't even exist, but it went viral. That was true viral, you know, like, because you didn't have like the social media like now. So it was like super viral, went viral. And I started to, to get different reactions. And that's when I found out like the power of the word and the opportunity that I have to say things that can affect other things. Like I had positive and negative. When Querido FBI, Dear FBI was released, Calle 13 was on the up and up. They had gotten their first break back in 2004 when they took their demo to Elias de Leon at White Lion, an independent record label. I went to Elias' office, White Lion, in San Juan, and, and I left the, my demo to Carly. Elias wasn't there, or, or maybe he, he was uh, busy or something, but I, I didn't meet Elias uh, there. Uh, so I left the demo, and I thought that they were not going to call or anything. So that same night, like in midnight or one in the morning, he called me, and I was like, oh, shit. You know, like I took the phone call, And then it was him, like, man, this is fucking great. Like, where you've been? Like, I, I, let's do something. And I was like, okay. Like, I was excited. So, and I knew that he was the one who brought Tego. So I was like, oh, perfect. Because I was listening to Tego and Tego made me write again. He's talking about reggaeton legend Tego Calderón, who inspired Residente to take up writing music again after he had given it up in frustration. A lot of the things that they were happening at that time wasn't that creative. You can count it with your hands. You, you got Tego, that he was creative and he was different. Not too many people, not too many artists. So I knew that my, my stuff was going to be uh, good, you know. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Calle 13 came to fame with a catchy song, Atrévete, and followed it up with other songs that were clearly in a different lane from mainstream reggaeton. People started noticing, DJs started noticing, and Calle 13 could be heard on the radio and in clubs from San Juan to Sao Paulo, from Barcelona to Buenos Aires. But his newcomer's success rubbed some people the wrong way. He hadn't put in as much time. He wasn't from a caserío. He had a friggin' master's degree. As soon as people started to talk to me, maybe they thought that I was a certain way because I didn't have like the gold chains and I didn't dress as a rapper. It's more about education. So they knew that I was educated. But as soon as they started talking to me, they knew, oh, he knows. It was more about like this new guy is taking the attention so fast of everyone. And we've been here for 15 years. 
and he's getting all the attention suddenly. And yeah, you can say whatever, but it was different. I was bringing something different. That's it. And I was bringing lyrical stuff, like lyrics, like I was, I was writing. I was a writer and I liked to write and I enjoyed it. And I was a rapper more than a reggaeton singer. So it was a little bit of more, more something towards that direction, you know, like this new guy is taking over kind of, then he's not street because yeah, that, that didn't last. Like as soon as I went inside a studio and they saw my friends, you know, they were like, oh, okay, you know, like, okay. So they didn't have a doubt. I remember the first song that I heard of yours was Se Vale Todo, and I was in college. And there was this new thing, like reggaeton had been quite sanitized. In part, you know, after the laws that were passed in 2001, which, as you know, my grandmother had everything to do with. Um, reggaeton changed, then it became super commercial, and, and in a way sanitized. And then suddenly you come out with, you know, still metaphors that were a lot more out there, uh, even vulgar, depending on who's listening to it. You're kind of more direct, a little bit dirtier. What was your intention? I think more than dirtier, it was more playful and it was more metaphoric too. I was using comparisons and nice punchlines that you were like waiting for the punchline and laughing because they were funny, uh, most of them. I wasn't uh, scared of saying whatever I wanted to say. And a lot of people, sometimes they get scared. But it, it wasn't like being vulgar because they had like songs talking about super bad, like in, back in the days in reggaeton. The radio is another thing with me. Like it's, uh, I don't know. Yeah, you've been very critical of the way the industry works. Tell me what frustrates you the most. Yeah, that it's not about art and creativity. It's about money. I know that it sounds like a cliche, but it's true. It's like if you, like anyone can write a hit two minutes and 30 seconds hit. But the difficult part is not in the creative aspect, is to have a group, a team that works kind of like a mafia. And if you have that, then you're going to make it. So they should give the, the billboards and all that shit to these people instead of the artists, because for real, it's like there are the ones that are making this, you know, the, the song to go like that way. There are very little Like, there's not, not too many songs that go viral or that people doesn't work and they make it as a hit. You have Peppa, for example. It's an example of a song that went viral without a video. But you, you can count that with your hands, you know, with the fingers of your hands. So, yeah, that's what I don't like. I, I don't like that everything is based on how much you have to pay to put that song into number one. So I prefer to work with The opposite, you know, to think different, to be different. I did René. It's an eight-minute song, but it's powerful, and it went viral. And everyone was listening to it, and everyone got connected because they were looking for something honest. I know that you have to promote shit, and I pay it. But one thing is to promote it, and one thing is to excessively put in so much money that you go, like, it's to lie. It's like being liars, you know? So I don't believe in that shit. So that's why I don't do it, and... Anyone can do whatever they want to feed their families, but, and I don't criticize that. What I criticize is after you put in all that money to make it to number one, then you're gonna pretend that you're the fucking shit. Those comments reminded us of the beef that started in 2021 when Residente went after reggaeton star J Balvin for his call to boycott the Latin Grammys. In a series of Instagram videos, he compared Balvin's music to a hot dog cart. Residente later said he wasn't talking about Balvin. 
everyone have the right to think different. But when I say something, it's because I really believe it's wrong, you know. And, you know, you can have your opinion. But in that case, it, it wasn't an opinion. It was a call to action to boycott the only way that certain artists have to put their music out and to be able to make a tour afterwards, you know. And also it's Ruben Blades year. Like this is disrespectful to music and to the history of music for me, you know. One thing is to make an opinion on uh, Grammy sucks. You can say that. Another thing is like, let's boycott everyone, the Grammys. Let's do this movement. And they tried to do it already before, you know, like a year ago or two. That situation is because he was disrespectful, not only to me, but to other artists. And it's not cool. Like, he's a kid and he, he needs to understand. And even if you're not a writer, and even if you're not a rapper, and then you're going to make fun of me, try to make fun of me, like doing merch about this, that we would talk about, like, stop it right there. On the flip side of this diss for the new hyper-commercial ways of reggaeton, there is Residente's admiration for perhaps the movement's brightest star, Bad Bunny. Bad Bunny is a phenomenon. In your opinion, you're his friend, uh, you've collaborated several times. What is the value of Bad Bunny? What do you admire about him or what? how do you explain the global phenomenon that he is? The important thing that he's bringing is, is that he's different. And it's that difference and, and the topics that he's talking about in a genre that is very masculine and machista, you know, He's doing things that a lot of people wouldn't do, and that's important, and that's necessary. And also, like, the fact that he's not scared if he has to say something about what's happening in Puerto Rico. Not all the time, because I understand that you don't want to lose value by, by speaking all the time, that then the people get tired of listening to you. But every when, when it's important, he speaks, and that's very important. For me, that's the most important thing that he's bringing, yeah. Residente's advocacy in Latin America, often in support of leftist governments and progressive causes, has endeared him to millions of Latinos in ways that surpass even their local heroes. But that spotlight has also drawn the attention of an army of detractors. How do you respond to, you know, people attacking you with the word communists? No, that's stupid because it's not the, first of all, it's an economic system and an ideal, but I wish that I had the guts to be a communist all the way, but I'm not. I have an American Express. I have a brewery in my in my country, Puerto Rico. A big ass house. They've done a great marketing move around the word communist and co communism and socialist here in the states. Most of the time, it's like they they did it great in that sense because they they connected those economic systems with uh, dictatorships and bad way of being a governor or a president you know they connected that with that but it's like saying like oh uh, pinochet disappear people and that's capitalism no or videla disappear 30,000 people that's capitalism no they were capitalists but that's not capitalism so the same way with the other economic systems but anyways i'm not that i mean i'm pro-independence i believe in the independence of puerto rico because i want to be like Like here, like you guys are free, like here in the States. They have one flag. I would like to have one flag. A great national anthem that we don't have. We have our national anthem socks. Everyone knows that. About Christopher Columbus talking about how pretty are the beaches. A guy who killed everyone in the country, all the indigenous, Tainos people. It's a colonized 
national anthem. And then we had our real national anthem that they banned because the U.S. were going to get mad about it. So do you feel proud that reggaeton, if reggaeton becomes the thing that people know Puerto Rico for? Now it's reggaeton and in the future it's going to be something else. And yeah, I feel proud that a genre that came from the ghettos in Puerto Rico and people who didn't know how to read music is killing it in music. And that's important. What I don't like is, you know, already is when the lack of creativity, like it's important to keep being creative, to write your songs, no matter what, you know, and to have art over uh, the business all the time when you're making art, you know. The bad thing is when you say things that are gonna confuse or educate wrong the young kids that are growing up and they want to be artists. And when you talk about the culture and you say, oh, this is for the culture or this is for that, like, what's the culture that you're teaching the kids that the culture of having a, a plane and a car and like all the culture of what, of writing your own lyrics or the culture of buying lyrics and not being creative and not making art. Reggaeton as a genre, where is it right now in those terms? Now it's a, no, it's a reggaeton, everything that it's a genre and it's, I think it's super important. It's it's kind of like our hip hop, you know, in Puerto Rico and in Latin America, in a way. It's very connected to the street, but also with the masses. The reggaeton is there. The reggaeton is gonna be alive all the time. Like that thing about it's dead. You know, I understand the metaphor, but no, every genre it's, it's alive because you can use it whenever I want. If I want to use merengue, go and use it. So it's alive and you, You have it there, and reggaeton is there. On the next episode of El Flow, we return to our normal format and the story of Héctor El Flaco Figueroa, the prolific director of reggaeton music videos and his standoff with the police. It's a Hollywood ending and one that's very close to my heart. El Flow is a production of XL Content Studio in partnership with iHeartRadio's My Cultura Podcast Network. The show is hosted by me, Lilia Luciano, and was created and produced by Vitenis Di Julis. Production and sound design by Dixo. Additional production by David Quiñones, Mirna Couto, Hermes Ayala, and Natalia Merced. Story editing by Nuria Net. Original music by Truco. Production supervision by Álvaro Céspedes. Executive producers for Exile Content Studio are Nando Vila, Isaac Lee, and Alejandro Uribe. Executive producers for iHeartMedia are Connell Byrne and Giselle Bances. For more podcasts from iHeart, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. 